0: The first reading today is Psalm 20, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, give victory to the King. Answer us when we call. This is the word of the Lord.
1: second reading is from Ephesians
0: 6 on page 1177. Ephesians
1: 6, verses 10 to 12 on page 1177. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil
0: in the heavenly realms. This is the word of God.
1: It's great to be back at St. Michael's. It's great having lots of family here as well to support. Let's pray just before we tuck into Psalm 20. Father, thank you for another day and another chance to hear from your word. Thank you that your word achieves what it's supposed to do. It never returns empty. And I pray that it would achieve what it needs to do in each of our hearts this morning. For your glory, Amen. The first movie I ever saw in the cinema was The Lion King. And 20 minutes in, you might have actually seen, they've redone it just a couple of weeks ago, it came out. 20 minutes in, the son called Simba of the King Mufasa, he's in the badlands. And that's the dark area ruled beyond Mufasa's kingdom. And he's been told, never go into the badlands. And it's ruled by his evil uncle, Scar, and his hyenas. Simba's in the Badlands, naughty boy. And he's been cornered by the hyenas. And they want to eat him for their lunch. You're probably hungry for your lunch. They were hungry for their lunch. They hadn't eaten in a long time. They want to rip little Simba limb from limb. I'm a little six-year-old. My heart is pounding at this stage. I'm fearing the worst for poor Simba. Anyway, the hyenas, they step forward and they, they go... Here, kitty, kitty, kid. And Simba tries his best. He tries his strongest roar. He goes like this. And it was a bit pathetic, frankly. The hyenas reply. They go, That was it? Really? Do it again. I'm thinking this is the end of poor Simba. He tries it again, except this time it's different. It goes like this. Roar! Behind him, comes his dad Mufasa, and he's roaring with him, and he says, he moors the hyenas, and he says, if you ever come near my son again, and they scarper, they run. What if we realized who we've got behind us? Would it change the way that we act? Because we're all facing battles in life, aren't we? Often we feel like Simba, Pathetic. Like my son's roar, it's pathetic, really. I make him think it's great. He's a bit helpless, Simba, and often we feel helpless in our battles. It doesn't feel like we're on the winning side. I don't know your battles. Maybe you've got brokenness in your family. Maybe someone you love is facing depression. Maybe you've got a tricky boss at work. Maybe you've got colleagues who give you grief because you're trying to follow Christ. Maybe they do it behind your back. That's the worst. I've heard that. Or maybe one of your children or grandchildren is rebelling against all you've brought them up to stand by and believe in. Well, let's see what the Bible has to say about the battles we face. And this psalm is a psalm that God's people would pray before they go into battle. And I'm going to read it, and I want you to think who's it about? So, I mean, you read that beautifully. But I want to challenge us. I think the way that we all heard it was probably wrong because the way I heard it was wrong the first five times I went over it. May the Lord answer you when you're in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. When I heard that, it's like when you look at the school photograph. You go, that's where I am. You think it's about me. This psalm is not about me. This this you is always, it's not my plan succeeding. It's about God's king. It's about the king of God's people. It's a bit like the uh, national anthem, God Save the Queen. This psalm is just like that. It's a prayer they'd pray for their king. So the you is always the king. God save our gracious queen. We we're actually going to sing it, but it didn't quite work out. Long live our noble queen. It's a prayer for our monarch, isn't it? Send her victorious, happy and glorious. Long to reign over us, God save the queen. That's what we pray every time we sing the national anthem for our, our monarch. Well, this is a prayer we pray for our heavenly monarch. And as God's New Testament people are—we're not praying for a, a king like the Old Testament people of God. We're praying for our heavenly King, and that's King Jesus. And it's a prayer for him for victory, but it's also a declaration of victory. God's people once were facing their arch enemies, the Philistines, and for forty days they'd face them in battle lines, and they were petrified. They were bricking it. And then one shepherd boy plucked up the courage to fight them. And their giant, the talisman, Goliath. This shepherd boy, David, you know the story, was confident of victory. Not because he was handy with the slingshot. And he was very good at the slingshot. He killed bears and he killed lions with the slingshot. He wasn't confident in his slingshot. He was confident in God. Last year, you, you might have remembered... Lucas, um, Luca's a, the energy drink, had David and Goliath. And I was really in, intrigued by this. Why are they getting behind the message of David and Goliath? Anyway, they said, when you're determined, your energy can beat everything. It's not even anything, it's everything. But they got it wrong, didn't they? He wasn't confident in himself. He wasn't confident in his own energy, his past success, or any of that. He was confident in God. I'm going to read, you don't need to turn with me, but it's this is from 1 Samuel 17. This is what he said as he was going to face Goliath. He wasn't confident in his Aid, his energy, or his slingshot. He said, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. He was incensed by it. This day... The Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear or lukezade that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. He was so Confident in God of success. And remember, that's exactly what happened. He destroyed Goliath. And they obliterated the Philistines. Praise the Lord. So this psalm is, God's king always wins in the end. And that's the, the headline. If you've got your, don't use the purple one, use the other one, because that's got the, our headings. If you are taking notes. It's, it's a prayer for King Jesus for victory, this prayer. And he's going to get the victory in the end. And there's two things that show us why he's going to win. Verse 2 is the first one, where his help comes from. Read verse 2 with me. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. Sanctuary is where God dwells. It's, it's where he lives. And when you've got all the might of where God dwells behind you, hosts and legions and regiments and battalions of angelic armies, not to mention verse 6, the victorious power of his right hand, you are going to win. When all authority from heaven is behind you, there's no doubt about the outcome, you're going to win. So he's going to win because of where his help comes from. In World War II, um, when the Allied forces, they'd just got a beachhead landing, where they'd landed uh, on the beaches in Normandy. And if they ever faced any Nazi resistance, they got on the phone and they rang up Bomber Command and they said there's a bit of resistance here. And then the RAF had overwhelming air superiority. They'd come in and they'd obliterate the Nazis, and then they could creep forward. When you've got overwhelming support behind you, you're going to win. Jesus had all might and power from heaven behind him, so he's always going to win. So he wins because of where his help comes from, verse 2. And he also wins because of his heart. Look down at verse 3. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. In other words, may God remember the sacrifices and offerings of the king. May his offering be pleasing, in other words. And you might remember in the Old Testament, Saul went to battle. This is what they do in the Bible. Before the king went to battle, they'd offer up some sacrifices to God just to make sure they're in a right relationship with him. Saul, you'll probably remember, got it wrong. And he actually lost the whole kingship because of that mistake. Because he didn't have a right attitude between him and God. King Jesus, however, offered his whole life perfectly up to God. And therefore, he's always going to win. His life was conducted in the most perfect way. Therefore, his offering was acceptable, was pleasing to God. Unlike me, unlike you, unlike anyone before or since, his offering was acceptable to God. Hebrews 7 says, unlike the other high priests, he, he does not need to offer sacrifices day by day. First for his sins, or the, and then for the sins of the, other, of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. So his offering is pleasing to God, verse 3. And then, yeah. The problem is, however, this doesn't seem to ring true in life, does it? Because there's a lot of rulers out there who seem to prosper. And you know their heart. They've got filthy hearts. They're hypocritical. Or they're just bent on wickedness. Or they just don't even seem to honor God. You've got Kim Jong-un, Idi Amin, ISIS on a global scale. But also you look around us, you see business leaders, politicians, people who aren't honoring God, and yet they seem to prosper. Well, because of but it's different with Jesus. Now, because of Jesus' good heart, from which we've seen in verse 3, his plans, verse 4, succeed. Verse 4 it says, May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. The desires of Jesus' heart are always given to him because of his perfect sacrifice and his offering. Every plan Jesus makes succeeds. I met a chap the other week and. You might have heard of this thing called fantasy football um, where there's 6 million actually wannabe football managers and they've got a budget, a fictitious budget of 100 million quid and they've got, they've got a squad of 15 players and you've got to make the right moves, transfer the right players at the right time to win and you're, you're trying to beat your mates, prove you're a better manager, you understand the Premier League better than them. Anyway, I met this guy, he has won it twice in the whole country. My jaw dropped. He has beaten six million other wannabe managers through careful selection of players, dropping them, hiring them at the right time. Every move this guy has made has been perfect, as it were, twice. Well, with Jesus, every single, he never makes a wrong move. Every single move Jesus makes is the right one all the time. Do you know how good that is? That means there's no mistakes in your life. Because every plan of his, if you trust him, is a success. There's no failures in Jesus' economy. He never gets it wrong. And because of that, we can be overwhelmingly confident of victory. Verse 5. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. There's no doubt about the outcome. There's no might about it. Actually, in the the order of service today, it says, words are going to appear on the screen for that song, Hosanna. They didn't appear on the screen, did they? Some of us were probably a bit confused. No, there's certainty. Sometimes certainty is misfounded, as we just witnessed. Or in 2011, in the Six Nations Rugby... um, England had won four games, and in the Six Nations, you've got five games to do, obviously. And after four games, a video was leaked onto YouTube, and it had all the team lined up, and then it said, Grand Slam Champions. Some of you might remember it. It got leaked. They weren't Grand Slam Champions. It was misfounded, wasn't it? Because they weren't Grand Grand Slam Champions yet. They played Ireland, who thumped them 24-8. It was totally unfounded, their confidence. The key is not to be confident in ourselves. And the good news is that even when things look bad, and often there's bad things in our life, Jesus always wins in the end. Just look at the cross. It looked like total defeat and humiliation. Jesus, the one who'd saved others, couldn't save himself? Doesn't look like a defeat. Strung up on a cross, abandoned by his friends and his followers, betrayed, denied by those closest who said they never betray him. And yet you read the Bible, and overwhelmingly, the verdict is it was a victory. The cross disarmed and shamed his enemies. In fact, the cross defeated Satan and his evil powers. But we look at it and we go, it's a funny victory, isn't it? It seems to redefine what we call victory. So how do we pray this psalm? We're not a physical army like the Old Testament people of God. Um, Our Ephesians reading reminded that our struggle, who is it against? Ephesians, Paul said, it's not against flesh and blood, an army, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Jesus is doing battle against Satan, his demons, and darkness. Praise God for that. We were on holiday just the other month with some friends, and each night around the dinner table, kids had gone to sleep, we'd just pray for another friend each night, and one of them opened up about one of their children, and it was really brave of her to open up about this, and they said they thought their child's behavior was a bit unusual. Um, When all the other kids would come out of nursery and hug their mum, this child's Come up, shove their sibling, and then be really rude to their parents. Really odd behavior. Anyway, she said she thought something weird had been maybe spoken over this child because their neighbor, when she, this child was born, was into the occult and witchcraft. And so they thought maybe there was something funny that ex- would explain this bad behavior. Anyway, what we did was we prayed for. For them in the situation and we broke bread we had communion and we broke whatever it was in the name of Jesus and you would not believe it this child had been asleep we was fast asleep woke up 20 minutes later vomiting in their bed and we spoke three weeks later and the, the friend said you would not believe the transformation in our child it's like they're a different child they, they do things wrong of course they're, But they're children. It's just normal normal sinful behavior. And so the victory of Jesus had been brought to bear in this situation. Because Jesus always wins in the end, doesn't he? We're all facing battles. Some people I've discovered through being in home groups and church over the years. Some people are pretty good at hiding the battles that they're in. Others of us are sometimes a bit more vulnerable about them. And the question we've got to ask is, who's going to win? And maybe we've got an idea of what victory looks like in this battle we're facing. But I want to ask us, because as I've lived in this passage for weeks, it's asked me to redefine victory according to Jesus' terms. Because Jesus' plans always succeed. Not for my plans to succeed. And so I've got to ask myself, what does my victory look like? Because maybe I'm getting it wrong. Maybe if your family is going through brokenness, you see victory as the brokenness being resolved. And maybe that is Jesus' plan. But it might be that Jesus' victory in this situation looks like you being godly in the midst of that suffering. Maybe Jesus is most glorified when people stay faithful to him despite the horrible circumstances that are thrown at them. The cross didn't look victorious, but it was. We often, frankly, want success to, victory to look um, good outwardly, don't we? But often, I think, in God's economy, success is about what's going on inwardly, it's about our hearts. And no one knows that except you and God. So actually, the choices you make might not look any different to those around you in the short term. But in the long term, if you keep trusting God, it's going to look different in the long run. As you see the victory of Jesus Christ worked out in your life. And the invitation, I believe, that Jesus is making to each one of us, and he's saying to you this morning... Is will you trust me? He says, Will you trust me? And you'll be victorious. Because the temptation, verse 7, is not to trust him. Verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, some in Lucas' aid, or what's within them. A soldier who goes into battle is tempted to trust the weaponry around them. And in the spiritual battles you face, what is it you're going to be tempted to trust in other than God? Because I I don't know what it is. Is it to trust in yourself or the means around you? If you're battling depression, I was trying to work through some examples. If it's depression, maybe the chariot, as it were, to trust in is medication or counselling. Of course these are good things and we should use them but we shouldn't put our trust in them i think the psalm is saying trust in god not anything else if you're facing a tricky boss at work maybe that's your battle maybe the chariot is to do really good work so that you've got good rapport with them i don't that's of course not a bad thing but i wouldn't put your trust in it trust in god Or maybe the battle, one of the battles you're facing is someone you love so deeply is not following the Lord. And you're tempted to put your trust in something like the alpha course. Or the guy at the front preaching. They're good things, of course they are. But trust that God is behind them, not these other good things. Verse 7, some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up. So they lose, but we rise up and stand firm. Those who trust in God are victorious. They rise up and stand firm. And I want to challenge you, before you go to bed tonight, I want you to consider what the chariot is that you're trusting in. Because we're all going through battles in our life. Think of what the chariot it is that you're tempted to trust in, or that Lucas aid, whatever it is. And get something symbolic of it, and then put it under your feet, and get out Psalm 20 and pray that. Thank Jesus that he is victorious, and then go and put, stake your trust, not in that chariot. Go and say, I'm going to trust you, God, in this situation. There might be some here who, as we 're talking about this battle you this is a prayer god 's people would pray. maybe you realize you 're not one of god 's people and you're actually you 've been opposing god you 're not on his side and we 've seen from this that the outcome is sure it 's certain Jesus is going to win, and Jesus and his followers are going to bring judgment on all those who oppose him he 's got he's going to have on that final day victory over wickedness and all those who've opposed him he started this victory at the cross and he's going to bring it to completion when he comes again and we need to remind ourselves jesus is going to win in the end and if you realize you've been opposing him i want you to encourage you to change your allegiance you can Change allegiance, it's such a simple thing. You just pray and you say, God, I'm sorry I've been opposing you and I want to turn to you. Come and talk to me. I'd love if one person could come up after and talk to me that they want to change allegiance today. Because the promise, verse 8, is they'll be victorious. If you are on Christ's side, you rise up and stand firm. You'll be with him for eternity. I want you to imagine what it would look like if, as a church, we decided to place our trust in God more, and not in ourselves, our chariots, or the equivalent. What would it look like? Imagine all together Tuesday prayer meetings, people have sacrificed a bit of extra time at the office, because they so want to be there to declare their trust in God, more than in our programs, or whatever we busy ourselves with that church imagine in the battles we face i think we'd be more christ-like in our sufferings we'd be less flustered or stressed or angry when our battles don't seem to go away because we could trust that jesus always wins in the end imagine we'd be more patient when our plans don't succeed doing we do the right thing trusting god is going to do the right thing and in the end we'll be victorious And imagine the great day when all the lines are drawn, the battle lines are drawn between Christ and his people versus Satan and all those who have opposed him, opposed Christ. You'll be on his side, the victorious side, because Jesus always wins in the end. So to close, the great evangelist Billy Graham, who passed away the other year, he said, I've read the Bible, I've read the last page of the Bible, and it all turns out all right in the end. Jesus always wins in the end. And his invitation to each one of us is, will you trust me? So Let's pray.